0: Well, hi, I'm
1: Daisy Desire, the drag queen gardener, and I'm adding couture to your manure.
2: (laughs) Later in the show, we'll hear how and why Daisy's been bringing glitz to gardening. And also...
3: We tend to remember the Land Army and the First World War and the Second World War as being the big moments when women were able to enter the workplace. But actually that generation before, the Edwardian generation, were also really interested in crafting a career in gardening.
2: We'll hear the story of one of these early women of gardening. Plus, we're catching up with our advisory team to find out what should be on our garden to-do lists this autumn. So let's get gardening with the RHS. I'm Guy Barter. As we heard earlier, horticulture is having a bit of a makeover thanks to Daisy Desire, the drag queen gardener. She's been taking our flower shows by storm this year with visits to Hampton Court and Chelsea, sequins and all. Our editor, Gareth Richards, spoke to Daisy about where the idea to combine drag and gardening came from. So I started adding drag into gardening
1: for a bit of a laugh, really. I mean, we were in lockdown and, you know, everyone was quite down. So I thought, you know, wouldn't this be funny? It was really much just having a laugh. I actually started doing drag, obviously, to perform as a drag queen. Um, But then when I posted it on social media, it went mad. It just went mad. But it also did get a little bit of hate and that kind of gave some fuel to myself to kind of think, well, do you know what? People are loving this. People are also hating this. I'm going to go big with this. So two weeks later, after kind of first posting on social media, I was in the garden center in full drag, having a, a sort of mini photo shoot, posted that online. And it's just been crazy since. And I think what I love the most about adding drag into horticulture is that The kind of audience for gardening is considered over a certain age and also the audience for drag is also considered as a younger generation. So it's almost bringing drag to the older generation and gardening to a younger generation. And I just love that because gardening can be perceived as this old man's hobby and it's nothing like that. You know, there are so many different gardeners out there and it's just so brilliant to kind of bring a voice to that. That adds a bit of fun and, you know, a few rhinestones as well. (laughs) Yeah
4: absolutely you know you don't often see rhinestones in a potting shed so it's quite a striking combination. So can you
1: tell us how you got into gardening then? Oh absolutely I got into gardening roughly three years ago. How it had happened was I used to be on the train going to and from work and I used to look out the window and see the allotments. And I you always you, was so intrigued and interested by what was happening there. And I was just, but I'd never really kind of put a gardening glove on before. Then a day came where basically I was in a long term relationship, got dumped, and the next day I went and got myself an allotment. And the rest is history. <laughs> I literally turned, <laughs> I, well, the day I got my plot, I literally looked around at all these brambles and bindweed, and I thought, I actually don't know where to start. I probably need to go to the garden center and get myself a pair of gardening gloves because we're just going to throw ourselves into this. It was kind of, as time went on, I just fell in love with gardening. And it's one of those things where it's constantly evolving and there's always something new to learn. And I just love that about gardening. Now, actually three years later, I've just joined the RHS horticultural course. So I'm doing my level two actually currently. Does gardening influence your drag? In a way, yes. In the sense of when I look around on my plot, because sometimes I often just go up and sit there for about 20 minutes. You know, if I've had a long day, it's just nice to kind of end the day just sitting there looking at what you've grown, what you've nurtured. And I just kind of look at all the gorgeous kind of flowers that I'm growing, like the gladiolis, especially this year. They've been beautiful and so many different vibrant colours. And it's really interesting to kind of see... It's unintentional how I add gardening into drag in terms of like the inspiration, especially kind of around the outfits. But it's when I look back at my allotment and I think, oh, that's the same color as that jumpsuit that I've just worn. Or I was actually um, spray painting a fan that I used yesterday. And then when I went up to my allotment earlier, I saw my, the cosmos and I was like, oh, that's the same color. And I think there is kind of this subconscious infiltration of gardening into my drag outfits. Fabulous, good to hear it.
4: <laughs> and did you feel comfortable kind of bringing this drag persona onto the allotment? I
1: get, yeah, I mean I, I've always been quite a confident person and I I love that in a way I get to kind of shake up the gardening world a bit because they don't really know where to place me or what really to do. There are some people that kind of are a bit sceptical like what is going on over there but at the same time Yes. There's so many different types of gardeners. And, you know, I think people have fully embraced me in the sense of it's just great to add a bit of fun into gardening. I mean, I love all the OG gardeners. You know, I love Monty Don and Carol Klein, but there's no one like me. There's no one, you know, I bring something different. And I just know that like the numerous events that I've been to so far in drag, gardening events that is, The press go wild for it. And what brings me so much joy is the fact that I now know that there are going to be kids out there that see a drag queen at a gardening show, which is absolutely ridiculous. But it also gives them permission to know that it's okay to be different and it's okay to be yourself. But actually, no, it's just beautiful to be different and yourself.
4: Absolutely. That's such a lovely way to put it. I, I really uh, appreciate that message from you because I think I think it's really valuable from my own experience. You know, when I was a kid, I'm 15 years older than you. Gardening wasn't particularly cool. Gardening's come on a long way. Then being gay and being a gardener, was. I felt like there was this huge part of my life that was kind of hidden. And then to have positive role models like you, out there saying that this is something that people can do it's okay to be different i think that's a really powerful
1: message for particularly for younger people out there well thank you so much i i really do appreciate that and that's the thing i think what the beauty of this is i never set out for any of this it was just i was posting some stuff online and then all of a sudden i got invited to one flower show and it was the hampton court palace flower festival And I just turned up and I didn't know what to do in the moment because I was actually, once I'm in drag, it's this confident persona. Which, But I stepped out the car and I was absolutely just filled with nerves thinking, what the hell am I doing? I'm stepping into this world of horticulture, which is a different level. I'm just, you know, some gardener (laughs) teetering around my allotment. And I was thinking, there's London Society here, there's press. What am I doing? And as I was walking through the gates, there were all these school kids the smiles they had, and they were just so happy that, to see me. And I just thought, OK, that's it. We're going to rock this. We're going to show this horticultural world just another side of kind of, of life and horticulture.
4: Yeah, because I think historically gardening's been so cisgendered and very heteronormative. It can be quite exclusionary for gay and queer people. But I think having that visibility, I think, is really, really important.
1: Absolutely. And I, I think the thing is you know, there are so many um, people of like LGBTQ plus within horticulture. And it's not that it's ever kind of pushed down, but I feel like it's something that's not always lifted up. So I feel very privileged to kind of be acknowledged for that. But also in the sense of it's just a brilliant thing to do. And I cannot thank the RHS enough because they've never seen me as this kind of diversity box to tick or this gay pride novelty to have it's almost like they have worked with me because they want me to progress not just as a gardener but also as the drag queen gardener because they've seen that like just a kind of response that I get now which is really weird to say out loud actually now I'm saying it's really heartening isn't it (laughs) but it's it's so beautiful to have such a a very historic and big institution recognize
2: that and to be working with me on that And we'll rejoin Daisy later to hear her top three gardening tips. This time of year is a busy one for us gardeners. I've been digging my potatoes, sowing ryegrass cover crops, picking my apples and getting my lawn in good shape by a bit of spiking and application of garden lime. But it's always good to get some help when needed. We headed down to RHS Garden Wisley to catch up with two of our advisors, Chris Taylor and Michaela Freed, to hear about what we should be focusing on at the moment in our plots.
5: Gardens this time of year is all about cleaning up for the winter. So, cutting back your herbaceous perennials, leave some plants that have seed heads on for the wildlife and birds to eat through the winter. That also gives you some good winter interest, especially on cold mornings, when the frost is on the seed heads and the grass Mm -hmm. flowers.
6: Another thing you can do is, some people, instead of lifting their dahlias and storing them over winter, they keep them in the ground. And if you're in the south, it's pretty safe to do that. But you want to mulch over the top of the dahlia just to give it some protection. You want to use a dry mulch so something like leaf mould or there's a product called strolch or even i've just used autumn leaves just a pile of autumn leaves over the crown of the plant to give it a bit of protection
5: we'll move on to lawns now keep them regularly rate the leaves off the lawn this will help them grow strong through the winter you don't need to mow as much now so leave your lawns a longer cut now, and a longer period between each cut.
6: Yep, yeah, and also it's the season for bulb planting. The most important thing to plant is your narcissus because they don't like late planting, so it's important to get those in early. Tulips aren't so fussy; you can pretty much plant them right up till Christmas. But there are so many beautiful um, tulips and daffodils and that'll give you a wonderful display for next year.
5: You can start planting your autumn and winter pots now with autumn bedding plants, such as violas, pansies, dianthus. You can put bulbs underneath these and they will just break through the top when they're ready in the spring. That just gives you a little bit of autumn interest.
6: And maybe even some evergreen shrubs just to give the pot some structure. So things like saka coca, and maybe pyrrhus would be good for a bit of structure in the centre of the pot. It's a good time of year also for dividing perennials. If you have light sandy soil, light free draining soil, you can do that now. If you've got heavier soil, I would probably wait till the spring to do it because otherwise your perennials you've divided will be sat in sort of wet soil over winter, which won't be good for them. But if you've got a light soil. You can cut back your perennials and divide them up now, and then that'll bulk up your um, your flowers for next year.
5: Don't be too tidy in your autumn tidying up. You have to do some, but leave some for the insects and the wildlife over the winter time, and then clean up in the spring.
6: And particularly things like hedgehogs. They need sort of a bit of a nest of leaves. Um, and dead stems so if you've got leaves under your hedge don't worry about them too much because that's all good habitat for wildlife
2: thanks chris and michaela chris mentioned planting spring flowering bulbs and if you want a more in-depth guide on how to do that do listen to an episode released a few weeks ago called bulb planting now it's time for our regular feature that celebrates the unsung heroes of the gardening world.
3: So our hidden horticulturist is Olive Harrison.
2: Olive was a horticultural student who came top in an RHS exam in the 1890s, winning a scholarship to study within the society, but was turned away because she was a woman. I'll leave it to our presenter and history expert, Fiona Davison, to explain how she discovered Olive's tale.
3: The reason I know about Olive and her hidden story is one day we came across a package of papers in the Lindley Library and they seemed to be about a national exam that the RHS held from the 1890s. National examination in horticulture every year and the top student every year was given a scholarship to study in the RHS's garden at Chiswick. And this package of papers related to Miss Harrison and it was a letter from her saying I've got top marks this year I'd like my scholarship please and the letters it turned out were um letters from the RHS saying No I'm sorry you can't have a scholarship you're a woman and we can't have women studying at Chiswick and Olive writes back and gets her lawyers involved and writes back and says but says nothing in the rules about this why can't I have my scholarship that I'm entitled to The package ends with a a letter from Charles Wilkes, who was the director of the RHS at the time, saying it wasn't in the rules because it was never contemplated that a woman would try. And that was the end of it. Only referred to as either the woman or Miss Harrison in these papers. So we did a bit of detective work. We put out an appeal. And her descendants got in touch. It was Olive Harrison who at the time that these letters were, were written, was only 17 years old, and she was a, a student at the Swanley Horticultural College, which was one of the very few colleges that trained women at the time. Although she wasn't the first woman ever to come top a couple of years ago, other Swanley students had come top. She was the first to have the temerity to ask the RHS for the scholarship and to push it that far. The happy ending to the story is that although... The RHS refused her the scholarship. Olive did achieve her dream of becoming a professional gardener. When she finished training at Swanley, she got employed by Mr George Cadbury of the Cadbury Chocolate Factory to work in his garden in Birmingham at Northfield Manor. And she worked there for four years until she got married. And she married uh, a fellow Quaker, Mr Herbert Edmondson, as was the times she stopped working upon marriage and became um, a housewife and a mother to four children and didn't speak of it. She's a very shy lady, didn't talk about her gardening career to her family, but her family very much remembered her as a really keen gardener, kept an immaculate garden. But she didn't tell them. She didn't tell them and they just found she was awarded a medal. The RHS didn't give her the scholarship, but gave her a medal and the medal was kind of found with her effects. And we were able to kind of piece the story together between us. Her story kind of was forgotten because, well, one, the RHS wasn't keen to talk about it at the time. They were most concerned to just avoid a fuss and a drama and just wanted her to go away, take her medal and go away quietly. And also she didn't make a fuss. She got her job with the Cadbury's. She got her dream. She was a professional gardener. But when she married, she didn't make a fuss She just gardened for herself after that point. And I just think it's a lovely story and and I think we should remember women like Olive who, at a time when women weren't encouraged to have careers and certainly not careers in a physically demanding job like gardening, tried their best to create that opportunity for having an independent, paid career and all women who work now owe owe that generation a big debt of gratitude. They paved the way. And I think the other thing that's worth remembering is that although Olive didn't bring about immediate change within the RHS and certainly it wasn't quick change, it wasn't until 1974 that the RHS allowed women to study at its School of Horticulture, today more than 50% of students studying for RHS qualifications are female and women professional gardeners, it's completely normal and it's widely accepted that there's absolutely a field that women excel in. I think it's important that we tell the story of Olive and all the other women. I think the other thing that is worth noting is she wasn't alone. So since finding out about Olive, I've become a bit obsessed with this generation of women. And I've tracked down that between 1893, when the exam was started, and the First World War, over 500 women sat the RHS exam. And a lot of them managed to make careers in gardening. And I think that wider story of early professional women gardeners has been forgotten. We tend to remember the land army and the war and, and think of the, both the First World War and the Second World War as being the big moments when women were able to enter the workplace. But actually, that generation before, the Edwardian generation, were also really interested in crafting a career in gardening and they did lay the foundation. I think they're really important to remember.
2: Thanks Fiona. Before I leave you today, let's hear some final gardening tips from Daisy Desire to get you fired up and ready to get out there. My first one would be, don't
1: worry, it's going to be okay. And if it's not, it's even more okay. Because if you make a mistake, if you sow your seeds too close together, if you know if something dies off or you forget to deadhead something and it dies, don't worry because those are the things that you learn. For me, for an example, I was away over the summer for a little while working on the drag queen stuff. My sweet peas completely forgot to deadhead them. It just I was going up to my allotment and I was looking at them and thinking, oh, they look beautiful. Why I never deadheaded them, I don't know. But again, we all make mistakes. My second one would be don't blow loads and loads of money on gardening just yet get to know what your soil type is get to kind of learn the growing space and enjoy the nature around it never work against nature you work with it because then you're most likely to succeed in gardening and also when i say don't spend lots of money go and get some second-hand tools you know facebook marketplace ebay whatever you like your neighbor's garage sale I speak from experience of blowing loads of money on expensive tools and gardening gloves and stuff like that. And the third thing would be, don't forget to just sit down and enjoy. Whether you've just started, you know, your plot and you've just got that one little sprouting potato or dahlia or something, don't forget to sit back and take a moment and just enjoy because you are doing something. You're not you know we all sit down and watch Netflix for three hours on end but you know in this moment you're not doing that you are out in nature just remind yourself that you grew that I mean even three years on in me in the gardening world I turn up to my allotment every time and I'm like oh my god I grew this I actually grew this so never forget to just sit back and enjoy the space
2: well that's all for today's show one thing to bear in mind is that tomatoes are coming to an end now, so gather the green ones and bring them indoors in a warm place to ripen. Many of them should come out just fine, and the rest will have to be used for chutney. If you want to learn more about olive Harrison, Daisy Desire, or autumn pruning, head to rhs.org.uk forward podcast, or check out our show notes. Until next time, it's goodbye from me, Guy Barter.